0: And welcome to Let's Talk About It, a podcast featuring interesting people doing important things in Lexington, Kentucky. In this episode, we are honored to be joined by Christian Motley for some wonderful conversation. Let's dive in and listen to what Christian has to say.
1: I'd love to know just uh, because I've seen you around town now, but I, I'd love to know how you ended up here in Lexington and how you got immersed in all the different things that you're doing here. It seems like you have your hand in
2: about 30 different things. <laughs> a world-class busybody. Yeah, 30 um, is probably an understatement. <laughs> I, uh, so um, I did not grow up in Lexington originally. I, I'm from a place called Alabaster, Alabama. Bastard. um, and in two thousand and five, I graduated high school and and came to Berea college um kicking and screaming there's a there's a longer story about um how i how I ended up choosing Berea College because it was not at the top of my list and I had a um John, I don't know if you've heard me tell the story I had a yeah, but- admissions officer, the recruiter came to my home he's a good friend now okay. and I've told the story with him yeah. and he's confirmed. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell the short version. He came uh, to my house. I was coming home from basketball practice, um, and I remember I walked in the door, sort of saw grown folks talking, um, saw some materials on the table. Didn't pay very much attention. I just come from basketball practice, mm-hmm. running suicides. I went to my room. Mm-hmm. I might have taken a shower. <laughs> 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 I walked from the bathroom, walked to the kitchen. Have to walk through, like you know, past where this conversation is happening. Mm-hmm walk to the kitchen maybe put some things together walk back <laughs> go back to my room come back they're having a conversation this whole time and at some point I walk back through and my mom is like excuse me sir this is for you um this guy is from Berea College you know um XYZ and he proceeds to tell me about um you know a school that uh, did not have a football team uh did not play anyone in basketball that I'd heard of they did he told me you know we play a team called Georgetown they're pretty good I'm thinking oh Alan Iverson, John Thompson. Like, <laughs> he's like, I, I mean, it's Georgetown College. Um, but I you know, I was like, okay, I never heard of many teams we play. Um and at the time I was really interested in like fraternities and mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. And and Berea uh, doesn't have that. And so, you know, a kid from Alabama, football's fairly important. I played basketball and uh of course I had this this interest. Uh um and I kind of asked the question, uh, why are we here? I mean, what are, what is this? What are we doing here? Um, but it convinced me just enough to take a visit. And I came and, and I visited the campus. And it was, um, I don't know, man. It took me. Love at first sight. And, um, of course, there is, you know, all that comes with being a student at Berea College, the incredible mission mm-hmm. of serving you know, students with. You know, great need, but also a great promise. And uh, I tried to make the most of it, you know, as a student there. It was a wonderful experience. And after Berea, you know, if I'm a busybody now, that's sort of where it started. Huh. Um, did you play basketball there? I did not play basketball. Okay. I uh, I ran track huh. at Berea. I, I basically learned how to do the long jump, high jump, and triple jump all this. Uh, first year student uh, at Berea College. Yeah, it's lots of technique, guys. I think I was decent by the time I graduated. It took quite a a while. But, you know, I had good mentors on campus. You know, I had this woman named uh, Tasha Bradley, who's still a mentor today. And I remember coming in and I would, you know, you're a student, you're learning all these things. At Berea, we're having just conversations constantly about, you know, so many heavy topics. And, you know, she, you know, I'd get done sort of laying down everything that was on my mind. And she'd ask, you know, well, uh, what are you going to do about it? And, you know, it was questions like that that led me to, you know, get involved with the Black Student Union. Uh, first, I became the president uh, my junior year. How many black students are at Berea? Um, at the time that I was there, it was roughly, we had about 1,500 students mm-hmm. and um, somewhere between 250, 300 students okay. were, were African-American students. Um, the proportion is quite a bit greater now. I think uh, last year's class was the most diverse class at, I believe, 28 percent, high 20s, nearly 30 percent um, students, uh, black students, which is pretty big. You know, Berea College has a unique history as the uh, first interracial uh, co-educational college in the South. Oh, that's cool. And so at, at, at one point, Berea College was 50 percent black students. Um, There's incredible history, John G. Fee and just the the work to stand up that institution as a place where you know students could go there no tuition debt and you know you got a kid like me who came from you know a small town in Alabama and you know having the opportunity to take on again I worked with BSU, SGA, uh, slept on the president's lawn a couple times (laughs) Um, uh, and you know by the time I left there I remember that you know my last act as a Berea College student was a a trip to Paris something I would have never um, imagined doing so I you know we we took full advantage of, you know, all that was uh, afforded to me. And by the time I left, I had a friend, he, he told people, well, you know, I haven't heard much that Christian complains about uh, that he doesn't intend to uh, do something about. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I just got a lot of really good lessons there and in part proximity, you know, sometime some point, I think it was 2007. I remember it was the summer of 2007. I worked for a project called the Kentucky Remembers Project. It was uh, uh, an initiative housed at the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights. And, uh, as a part of this, I basically went, went around the state uh, over the course of the summer, Richmond and Berea, Covington, Louisville, Paducah, Murray, and Bowling Green, hmm. and we put on these three-week camps that were you know, fo- focused on the local civil rights histories of communities. So you hear often about MLK and Rosa Parks and some of the larger names um, in our history, but you know, we forget that there is significant local uh, civil rights history. Folks that we walk, you know, we walking around Kroger with, you know, all the time who yeah. uh, did so much to to open up our communities. And so we work with you know, students. I believe they could be as young as about 12 up to like 14, 15 ish. But during that summer, I was like, oh, you know, Kentucky is my home. This is where I'm going to live. Yes. <laughs> and, awesome. you know, after I graduated, I went and I got into campaigns and you know, I did a quick internship in D.C. I came back. Worked on the first race that I worked on was Jack Conway's Senate race in 2010, which was a fun time to get in, <laughs> involved in politics, uh, knocking doors and to, you know talking to voters. That put, you- Lex- that put me Lex- in Lexington for the first time, oh, and okay. and um, after that it was I just it's, it became a home. what did
1: you learn from working on those political campaigns? what did you see from the inside that you maybe weren't aware of from the outside before?
2: I mean, the the first lesson, you know, for the nerdy uh, political science majors who uh, decide to you know, get into the game, you know, the first thing you learn is that it, it ain't like West Wing. <laughs> um, but, you know, you learn how to put good skills to work. You know, you um, you know how important it is to to build relationships with people, real authentic relationships with people. You honestly, you know, when you are I don't know what everybody else's experience is. I am. Um, you know, I wasn't somebody who had like political connections, or anything. I came in. You know, I I got hired on my first campaign because I worked free for like two months, mm-hmm. driving back and forth to Frankfurt, and you know, I basically said, you know, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. So I I uh, interned at KDP, Kentucky Democratic Party, during the day, and worked at Dick Sporting Goods in the evening, and all all really because I knew this is what I want to do. Um, I'll you know I sold a uh, Nike's and Asics to take second. care of my cell phone bill. When
0: yeah. did you work at, at Dick's Sporting Goods? I worked at
2: Dick's Sporting Goods in Hamburg, and this is like summer 2010, like June, June, uh, May, May, June, July. I was there too. Oh, But not at the same time. Ah, not at the same time. you but. know who else was there? Josh Natson. Yeah, we sold shoes together. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's how. So that's, that's how he so and crazy. I met. Yeah, yeah. yeah I sold <laughs> shoes. I sold shoes at Dick's in Hamburg. I knew. This is my guy out right here, Jeff. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so, but, okay. but, but you know, there a lot of those, you know, it was something I really wanted to do and was really passionate about. And when I got in on the campaign, I got hired as, like, the lowest-rung individual. And what that meant was, you know, my job was to talk to people, talk to voters, knocking doors, mm-hmm. um, making phone calls. And the way I got to know Lexington was in 2010, knocking doors all around the city. and. It was just one of those great experiences. And from there, you know, I worked basically, I worked Jack Conway's Senate race in 2010. I worked Governor Bashir's race in 2011. I went, there was a crew of us that went from Kentucky to uh, Pennsylvania to work on the presidential race uh, for uh, Barack Obama. I came back, worked a special election. My friend James K. ran for state representative in in Woodford County and eventually became the political director at KDP. But, you know, I, I, I got to know Lexington and I got to know the state in a way that, you know, I I never thought I would. I could tell you much more about Kentucky right now than I can about Alabama, which is kind of a strange, you know, circumstance. Somewhere I spent, you know, 18 years of my life. But this is home, man. This is home. That's how we like it. Yeah. (laughs) Bring somebody up to visit and keep them
1: around. (laughs) One of the reasons we wanted to talk to you right now is you're a leader in our community. And I think you're especially seen as a leader uh, in the black community in Lexington. thank you for that.
2: Yeah, I am. I mean, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. You know, as somebody who, you know, you growing up in the South, man. You know, when you meet somebody, you know, first thing they want to know who you, who who who's your mama, who's your people, um, you know, where you are from, what high school did you go to, that kind of thing. And for you know, for so long, I used to give the lot. Well, you know, I live in Lexington, but you know, by way of you know that kind of thing. so, uh, uh, you know, I appreciate you, you know, even you know thinking about me in that way here in the city. Um, because it's a place that's very important to me. Kentucky is very important to me. Of course, the city that brought me here, Berea, yeah. um, is very important to me. You know, leadership to me comes from you know connection to a place, connection to values. And I remember, it's just so I just remember going through this process as a young person in college, um, where I determined this this is my home, not just the city I was in, you know, Kentucky. This is a this is I want ownership of that. The South being uh, connected to Appalachia, you know, Berea College, you know, the motto is of one blood God has made all peoples of the earth. Um, they have these great commitments, commitment to a- Appalachia, a commitment to interracial and a cultural understanding, equality of the sexes, um, simple living. And I remember at some point saying, you know, well, oh, gosh, I like these commitments so much. I want to make them things that that I hold in my own. Commitments. So in the same way, you know, our college is connected to Appalachian it feels like, you know, it's 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 through service. That's how I feel. That sort of drives everything else that that comes after. you know, I work for an organization called Strive Together, uh, I work in policy. And um, you know, part of the reason I love saying that I work there and love the work that we do is because um, you know, I know that the population is a it's an organization that says, we don't believe that race, place, or circumstance should define the success for a, a young person. Every day, I get to go and, and, and go about that work, and because I know, well, I'm the population, I'm the target population that you know we would have been working for, and so I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity every day. Now, you know, you talk about the the work in Lexington. I'm, I I I love this city, man. I, I love living here, and. Uh, just like my friend said, there's not a whole lot that you'll hear me complain about that I don't intend to do something about. And sometimes that means they got a lot of extracurricular activities, but it's I'd have it. I wouldn't have it any other way.
1: And you're running now for city council.
2: I, ha- a- I happen to be running for uh-huh. uh, city council in the eighth district in, in Lexington.
1: Is that your first election where your name's the one on the ballot?
2: No, those uh, a fun story. Okay. Uh, yeah, I ran tell uh, that story. That's an <laughs> uh,
0: interesting. Sure. And, I ran, and maybe I'd give, tell people too, like eighth district, where like where is that about?
2: Eighth district. So basically between Tates Creek and Manawar uh, in the southeast uh, southeast Lexington. So Gainesway neighborhood, uh, basically the, the the communities that surround Tates Creek High School. I ran. In 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 2018, the, the guy I, I won't uh, I won't say too much about it, but I ran in 2018. The current incumbent wasn't very happy about that, and so uh, found found a way to to get me off the ballot in in 2018. Uh. Two two things I remember having a conversation. You know, it's funny when you have to really uh, I won't say eat my words, but you know you have to. You know you say things, and you have to be accountable to them. And I remember having a conversation. This is before everything went down. I remember having a conversation with a good friend of mine. She lives in the in the eighth district. I call her. Uh, you know, we have the mothers of the movement. Uh, I don't know if you know. You know, the mothers of Sandra Bland and so many of these young people who have who have been taken um, for the exact reason we're talking about. You know, in our community now, um, they call them the mothers of the movement. I think these are Lexington's mothers of the movement. A, mm. a mother who she lost her son to gun violence, and so she's been committed to. Um, you know the work to 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 uh, to end gun violence in our in our community, and so we talk. I talk a great before I you know put my name on the ballot the first time. She was the first person I talked to. Um, I wanted to talk to her about you know my why, you know why I thought um, um, what issues were important, and, and why I thought you know I could do something about it. You know in partnership with folks like her. Um, but I remember being in a conversation with her that summer, and she said, uh, you know, she had been talking. Remember we were having the mayor's race in twenty eighteen. And she had talked to a couple of the candidates and she was like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I like to ask them the question, you know, what are you going to do if you lose? Well, that's actually a pretty good question because, you know, you're you're if you're really committed, your work doesn't start and stop based on the election cycle. So I remember when I knew that my name was not going to be on the ballot. Number one, uh, I knew I was going to finish. The race just because, you know, that's how I was raised. You you finish what you start. But also, uh, I knew that, you know, whether I sat at the horseshoe or not, I was going to be doing this work. You said before, I'm a, little, I'm a little bit of a busybody, you know, working around issues of, you know, in, in March of 2018, we had, um, you know, what I hope is the first of, of multiple um, Young Professionals of Color convening where um, we were talking about the issues around, you know, we 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 got this thing in Lexington where if you are... A young professional, and you are uh, any background, you are of color. This is, uh, these are uh, gonna hurt hurt multiple stories. If you grow up here, uh, you might feel like there's a ceiling on the trajectory of your career. And you might feel like, "Ah, if I wanna go a little bit farther, I'm gonna have to move to another city, you know, maybe Dallas or Nashville, uh, Chicago, Atlanta. If I move from somewhere else and I come here, well, it feels insular. Am I able to say, you know, the right high school or, if, you know, how do I break into these networks to be able to to advance my career? And so there's this concept called stopover cities. And, you know, there's a few of us that want to make sure that Lexington is not thought of as a as a as a stopover city. There was a report that came out from I think it's called Wallet Hub that said that uh, they called Lexington. Um, I think it was one of the well, I don't want to misquote. I think one of the 300 least diverse cities um, in the country, something something to that effect. And so a few of us got together and, you know, tried to put together a strategy to to at least talk about what are the factors that a young professional of color might consider. And if we were to build a strategy to mitigate those factors, you know, what would they be? And, you know, we pulled together folks and I always I try to list out the, the buckets, but we had conversations across economic opportunity, uh, leadership. And philanthropy, so like you know, serving on boards and commissions, for example. We talked about recreation, arts, and culture. You know, do you, do you see the does the scene fit you? You know, you have somewhere to go out to eat. You got somewhere to go. The, the, the music uh, artists that come into town, they meet your need. That kind of thing. Mentorship and inclusion. So in the workplace, so I feel like I have like the supports to to advance my career. Do I feel like I have solid mentorship?
0: I was thinking about. I was listening to a couple podcasts. Uh, today, like driving back and forth from Louisville, and you know, yeah, you know, we've seen we've seen protests before, or at least in my lifetime. You know, I think I'm a couple years older than you, one or two or thirty, maybe one or two. Seven. I'm seventy years old. <laughs> That's the secret. These feel different in a good way. Do, do you get that same impression, or do you, do you feel like? I guess I don't know. I I, I feel hopeful about. Um, change happening for the first time maybe um do you feel the same way or
2: yeah i mean i i do i think um you know what's difficult sometimes is um you know we uh when you are responding to a need in the moment you think about it, if you're doing like a strategic planning process where right. you're laying out what the thing will look like over the course of some time period you set out the result at the beginning and you define what success will look like When you are responding to something in the moment, you don't always have the time to uh, define, sometimes even for yourself, not just like in the communication, like talking to other people, trying to make the case. But like sometimes you haven't already defined sort of what success looks like at the end of the thing. And so what I remember, so like you said, this is not the first time that there have been demonstrations, but, uh, you know, I remember... Ahead of the 2016 presidential election, this is after we go all the way back to 2012 when Trayvon Martin died and Michael Brown and, and Ferguson. And really, honestly, just so many names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of what you heard in terms of demonstrators and maybe some demands that came out of those conversations were body cr- body cameras. I don't know if we fully digested the weight of the fact that in the streets of Ferguson, folks were saying body cameras and then, you know, the future candidates for presidency months later had to be talking about body cameras just because that's what the conversation was yeah. and now in Lexington we talk about them like you know it's just normal yeah. um, to talk about body cameras now I will say you know there've been some issue in places like Louisville where they didn't turn them on and mm-hmm. that kind of thing but but body cameras as a concept mm-hmm. you know we're, we're normalized uh, and the demonstrations that we've had here in the last couple of days and it's important for me to say there will be much debate about the policy implications of the conversation that we're having right now what i always you know, it, it has felt really important to me. I remember it may be maybe two Thursdays ago. Now, I'm just thinking about the first demonstrations in Minneapolis uh, following uh, the death of George Floyd. And at that time, you know, it, it had taken weeks for the story of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, um, who was who was killed in her home. You know, before that story really got the attention that it deserved. And I just remember watching the news and kind of flipping through and watching the, the demonstrations in, in both Louisville and Minneapolis. And by that time, they were bubbling up in, a, in other cities. And I was up all night just watching and, I, you know, fires burning and protesters being tear gassed. And you know, I wrote a op-ed for the Herald-Leader. It was at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, watching that stuff on the television that, that I wrote that because I, I was not certain... If everybody because you know what the debate is going to be the next day, we're so polarized now. And I did not want us to get all the way there before fully recognizing that George was a man who was a human being who was accused of a nonviolent crime face down, with his handcuffed behind his back and someone's knee on on his neck as he pleaded for his life. Brianna Taylor was a young woman who was asleep in her bed in her home, had committed no crime, and someone came into her house and shot her eight times. These are two human beings, and it is important to recognize the deep tragedy that comes with the loss of life and the way that their lives were taken, and to overlook those facts, because I think that colors everything that flows after that. If you recognize first that these were, people saying Black Lives Matter... It should make sense, you know it should be like common sense, but there's a there's a there's a gap in the system um there's a gap in our thinking where I'm not certain if we're if we're fully appreciating the loss of life. It's important for me to say that it is a, also important to say as folks have demonstrated in communities all around this country demonstrated in communities all across this state, not just in places like Lexington and Louisville, some of the large urban areas that maybe people would assume, but in places like Corbin and Ashland and far west Kentucky in communities that quite frankly barely have black folks, but there is a you know there is a there is a shared understanding of uh, how critical this moment is and how important it is to have a collective voice speaking out and saying wait a minute I don't I don't buy into this uh, you know I won't sit silent while lives are taken away as if they have no value and so I appreciate that and the effort what it has meant is you know we saw a report in. L.A. I think the city council or the mayor is looking at okay, how do we how do we prioritize communities in the budget? Mm-hmm. You know, for a while we've perhaps we have over prioritized the sort of just pure police the police strategy. What does it mean to have a holistic approach? I think that's essentially what what communities are asking. The fact that for Brianna Taylor, her boyfriend who uh, was also there with her, who was arrested. When really, again, someone came into their home shooting, didn't know who they were. Um, He tried to protect their home. He was arrested and charged. And they had those charges dropped. Mm -hmm. Uh, They released the tapes of his 911 call. They uh, uh, suspended the no-knock warrant that, you know, those officers were delivering on. This is as a result of demonstration. And so um, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, there, there, there will be change as a result of the demonstrations that are happening right now. I don't know. I think uh, I, I celebrate that. I, I celebrate when I see, you know, f- folks demonstrating in Lexington. I, I celebrate when I see folks demonstrating in Louisville. It's 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 coming from a place it begins in a place of grief. But, you know, it's a powerful thing when folks are moved to action and when they move to a collective voice. And that's what we're seeing. And it is. I mean, it's a wonder. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's important that yeah you mentioned the grief. I mean, it's just. I think that gets forgotten sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible that just that actual act that's kind of spawned everything else.
2: And you and you gotta know it's it's the grief of knowing what happened and the way that you know these folks lost their lives and the consideration of oh, I mean, well it could happen to me. And is that the sort of community that we want to live in? Are yeah. those the kind of communities that we want to build? No.
1: I've been trying to understand for myself why this time has felt so much different. I mean, you you just named all of, there are so many names and we can go back so far. And yet for some reason, this has been a, a different kind of inflection point. At, at least it seems it. And I haven't been able to quite figure out why because it should have been that way with any of the other names you mentioned.
2: It's, it's true, but I think what you can feel now, I think are indications. I think um, the ground is shifting you know there's still things I I would love to see. Right now we're not right now I think in many cases we're we're talking about what we want to do and we're you know considering changes that could happen. Not for nothing, I mean, in the previous presidential administration we had the guidance around 21st century policing that was a follow-on to, you know, the work that happened following the death of Mike Brown and you remember the federal investigation of not just the incident but of the entire police department. I say that so we don't devalue sort of past wins and successes that that have come. The fact that it keeps happening is ridiculous. And so what it means is that there has to be deeper system change. And we're, in many cases, we're dealing with elected officials and we're dealing with long held like institutions. There's lots of talk about the role of police unions in in this discussion. And I say that as somebody who has been in a union and who advocated on behalf of the union, worked on work beside police and fire advocating for retirement and and basic, you know, basic supports that, not even supports, just like the stuff that's owed to these folks. But also there's a role that these institutions have played that have not been helpful in uh, advancing the the change that is that is really necessary and the accountability that's, that's really necessary. And I think the opportunity now is to, you know, roll our sleeves up and do the the hard, hard work. And, you know, some folks are going to There's some stuff they're going to have to leave outside the room to be able to do that work. And the question is, will they do it? You know, we you know, you asked about me running. I think it's important for me to say, you know, I'm running in part because of these issues. And it didn't take waiting for someone to be killed or some some incident to to believe that this stuff is important, not just because of my lived experience, but in part because it it informs my work. And I understand that young people should not they should not fear, you know, police or each other. Walking through Gainesway Park and walking on Center Parkway uh, to and from school, all young people, everybody in our neighborhoods deserve safe routes through our neighborhoods. They shouldn't fear being over police. they should see the police officers and feel supported. One of the you know we we joked about leadership Lexington earlier. you remember you know we had officers in our class. Mm-hmm. I remember telling one I was like, you know you're the first police officer whose name I've known
1: mm-hmm.
2: and just think about what that means in in communities. It is important that these officers, these these folks who are serving our community in such a critical, important way. You know, I had the opportunity to do a ride along. You know, you you kind of in what our officers see, and they see quite a bit more than I can handle. There's a reason that they're they're in the <laughs> they're in the seat, and I'm and I'm not. But we've got to pull our our police closer to our communities, and our communities closer to our police. And I think you know the the work goes in in both directions, and that's just it's important. You know, we have leaders in place who you know there's a you know, my, the guy I'm running against, I remember he, you know, he has a quote from uh, 2014 telling the Herald-Leader that our district, you know, public safety is an issue in our district because our district is so diverse. What Jeez. kind of thing is that to say, you oh, know? Gosh. Uh, I, first of all, I don't know why you say that on purpose to a to a journalist. Second of all, how did that not get any attention? <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, it didn't age well. And it's that, it's that kind of leadership that we've got to set aside, man. And we've got to be able to, for me, it's about having communities where every child can succeed, every family can thrive, and everybody knows they belong. And that last one is really important because it speaks to the way that we create community. I'm reading a book now, and I forget, I think his name is Eric Kleinberg. It's called Palaces for the People. I won't won't get too deep because I'm only a third of the way through the book. But his whole premise, you know, this this thing palaces for the people comes from, you know, there was a a wealthy somebody who wanted to. They they thought that libraries were very valuable to communities, and if you think about it, they're some of the most equitable places, um, and accessible places in our communities. All walks of life, you know, at all times, you know, during the during the day, you can see folks in the library. Not now, unfortunately, but. He believed that libraries, given the important role that they played in our communities, that they should be uh built like cathedrals, built like palaces, you know, so he call them palaces for the people the, the The greater point in the book is about community building and what he, what what Eric calls uh, social infrastructure, what are the public spaces. He has a hypothesis that much of the differences that we experience and the problems that we have working across differences is because you know we've devalued like the public spaces where we gather. The library is one of those places. Our public transit system is one of those places. Our parks. I think about our local places like, you know, North Lime Coffee and Donuts. Man, these are gathering places for our for our communities. And he said, Well, if we better invest and in support and are intentional about those 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 communal those communal spaces and what they mean to our neighborhoods, you know, then we we'd actually do a lot to advance our communities and, and solve a lot of problems. And so you know, when you talk about what's different about this moment, one of the things I recognize is that the collective voices that you see demonstrating, they're working across difference. And that's like, that's the, in a, in a time where everything is so polarized, the really powerful thing is to see folks coming together across difference, advocating for something that may not benefit them directly. Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a powerful thing. At base level, I think, you know, the way that we create community is just, is just really important. The way that we interact interpersonally. You know, one side of the street can be directly uh, connected to perhaps the way we are engaged by law enforcement mm. or the sort of negative impacts that folks might describe. I think that's really important. It's an important conversation. It's a difficult conversation to have. It is an important conversation to have. Yeah, I think
0: you, you know, you're talking about just being out in the community. The pandemic has been terrible in lots of different ways. But one of the things that I've noticed, at least in my neighborhood, and I live you know, in the 8th uh, District as well, is so many people, I guess, just getting out and walking around in their neighborhood that they, A, had never met or seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that includes me. And I've I've met so many of my neighbors and gotten to know my neighborhood so much better because of this. And I don't think I would have otherwise. I I always wonder, you know, you mentioned community spaces and our neighborhoods and sidewalks are certainly part of that. How do we capture that again? Or do you you guys have any thoughts around that? Is that, I mean, I think about that kind of stuff all the time, the little library you were mentioning, it was a a central part of uh, how I grew up. That was like one of the main Mm -hmm. kid community spots. And I don't know if, you know, I don't have kids, so I don't know if that's happening now or or how do we, how do we keep that or keep progressing that in that direction?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, what you're saying is important. I'm thinking about in a time where, you know, there ain't many places I could go other than the Kroger.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
2: You know, sitting outside on my steps is just like a really powerful thing. Yeah. And just like the conversations I had in passing with my neighbors that perhaps we would not have. There's one neighbor in particular I hadn't met before. And I started to wonder if anybody lived there. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, because I was sitting out on the steps, you know, we finally were able to have a a conversation. Um, We shook hands accidentally just because, you know, it was early. It was early days still. (laughs) Uh, I want the governor to know I went right in and washed my hands. (laughs) All of a sudden, you you know, you you are reminded how important connections are yeah. mm-hmm. to our neighbors and connections are to, to our communities and, you know, how if we're told that we can't see each other, how really annoying that is because we, re- we actually really do appreciate seeing each other. We kind of when we bump into, you know, someone in the produce section, we're like, oh, man, do I really want to. talk? Actually, we really do want to see yeah. each other. We it's, really do want to yeah. talk in the produce section. <laughs> and that's just a powerful thing. And I think that's the start. That's the, that's the start. When we recognize how important that connectivity is, mm-hmm. the rest, you know, again, the rest flows from there. Yeah.
0: It was almost like it had to be taken away to know how, oh, how much we needed it. Preach.
2: <laughs> Joe and
1: I read uh, The Life and Death of Great American Cities yes. now, several years ago. Have you read that? I haven't. Fascinating. It's, it's written decades ago, talking about these changes in cities when actually when when we overreach in some ways. and. One of the things she talked about was the sidewalks being this great communal safe space. And when we instead tried to create like these backyard spaces, Mm -hmm. uh, these enclosed spaces where that we perceived as being safer, they actually in a lot of ways were more dangerous because there were less eyes on them. Mm. And we lost community in a lot of those ways. And so I think about all the people walking their dogs now, Mm -hmm. Who like our dog gets a daily walk now. She used to get a a monthly walk. (laughs) There is something about like people seeking out that communal space when so many of them have been taken away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I even think about, it. I mean, just something as simple, like uh, when I was a kid, if someone knocked on the front door, it was the greatest thing. I like, who's here? Who's here? This is going to be awesome. Um, and now I'm like, who's here? <laughs> Why are they here? Why is <laughs> someone knocking What do they, like they want? Area? Yes. So, I don't know I'd, I'd I'd love to see that continue but I, you know I, I think about that sometimes like
2: well how do how do you make that
0: continue like we had we had to be forced to, into it to get out into our neighborhoods because it was taken away yeah, it, it's know.
2: Int- you know in my in my day job right now you know in the response to uh the, the this public health crisis there was a lot of policy change that happened that was really essential to be able to stabilize community mm-hmm. and you know, there's a lot about the response to that crisis that re- that revealed what many folks who are experiencing these gaps knows that you know there, there's gaps and unmet needs in our system. There are deep inequities in our system. Um, you know, whether you are talking about healthcare access, food security, you know, if you're talking about banking, you know, the the PPP loans, you know, from the SBA were like a big a big thing for businesses. And what we recognize is it's like, oh yeah, sometimes typical banking practices leave out. Folks of color, leave out rural communities, leave out low wealth organizations. And so there are these inequities that have been revealed. And so in response to that, you know, there's been some some effort to change. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't call it a fix. But I think, you know, the fact that we suspended evictions for this time period um, because it was necessary to help stabilize communities, uh, supporting you know the investments to support Internet access. and, 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 And I'm talking sort of broadly across the country now. Um, But ensuring that folks have internet-enabled devices and internet, because both of those things have to happen to be able to do stuff, is recognizing there's a gap in the system. So now we're in a place, and I don't think we're on the other side of this thing completely, but in the policy discussions, what's happening is, you know, folks are having discussions about in the stabilization effort, the changes that we made, what now do we need to sustain to ensure that we're not leaving the same gap in the system that existed before? And that's an important conversation. I think we have to do the same thing when it comes to our community infrastructure and we, the same thing that we're talking about. It's like, oh, man, you know, we've we found this new connection because in part, you know, there's so much that was taken away from us. How do we sustain it? And those are those are just really powerful questions. I don't claim to have the answers. But what I do know is that, gosh, it's a pretty good place to start.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nice that some of this stuff has boiled up from otherwise a tragedy. So
1: I feel like that's a really good spot to end. I yeah. want to do lightning round. Yeah, we should. Yeah. We have a lightning round. Let's do it. I asked all these questions pre-pandemic and pre-quarantine, and now some of them are are just different. I, are. I So imagine a post-quarantine Lexington.
2: Oh. Right. Oh, let's yeah. Let's all have a <laughs> <laughs> right. Hang on. Let's all think about it. There life. is such a
0: place. <laughs> post-quarantine Lexington. We'll just pause for a second.
1: You have a free day. None of the 50 things you normally do are happening. You just get to be free for the day. How do you use it? Where do you go? I'll
2: tell you that there are they're, uh, three places I'm going pretty quick. I'm going to North Lime getting a donut. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Going to, going to, going to Couple of Commonwealth. I'm grabbing a London Fog. Uh, I'm going to Crank and Boom, and I'm getting my blueberry lime cheesecake. Uh,
0: I just tried that one recently, by the way. Oh, man.
2: That's the money yeah. right there. Yeah, that's legit. And I'm relaxing, man. I, uh, I'm i probably going to sit on my front steps and read for a bit. I'm probably gonna hop on Gainesway Drive and run for a bit. And I might sneak a nap in. Yeah. Naps are so good. That's
0: oh, a yeah. great day. Oh yeah. That's a really
2: good day. I I have to tell you this, also you didn't ask me this, but um, I'm thinking about this in part because it's been my response to COVID. Also as a part of my day, I found that my one of my new favorite things, Seinfeld.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is this like first watch or rewatch?
2: I watched I watched the whole thing. And I watched it for the first time during uh okay. Born okay. Pain. all of a sudden I hit my thirties and apparently this is like it's super relevant <laughs> to my life.
0: It's, yeah, it's weird. I mean it's still fun. I, I was watching episodes of the other day. Like I don't know. I I, mean, I watched it sporadically throughout my life, but I yeah, I just really started binging those and I don't know my
2: classic. Yeah,
0: they're they're really well written. It's really funny. I don't know. Okay, mine's a little weirder. Well, no, I'll, I'll start with this one. I always have to apologize because I typically say CD, but uh, it's a summer day. You're mm-hmm. driving, you got the windows down. What are you listening to?
2: I'll tell you, there's a group. So my friends make fun of me. I grew up, I got a, I got a pretty wide palette. My favorite music right now, I call it, I don't know if there's like a separate genre for it, but I call it whisper singing.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. What does that
2: mean? Uh, You know, I... Uh, I don't know. There's just like this whole cadre of artists.
0: Here's a couple we should listen to because I don't know any of these. Uh, I don't know any Whisper scenes. One is uh,
2: it's a woman named Janae Iko. Janae Iko. Yeah. Okay. There is uh, a woman named Ari Lennox. Okay. She's new. She's like a, you know, think Erica Badu. She's like a young okay. Erica Badu. And there's a group called Moonchild. Okay. And everybody's going to think I'm like a hippie now. <laughs> but it's just what I'm into right now. Just like, it's like very like melodic. And just, like, easy listening. Calming, maybe? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I'm windows down. Let me tell you, I have run miles. You have people who listen to, like, very intense music when they're, like, working out. Yeah, that's me. I turn on the whisper. That's the whisper, whisper singing.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. That's something. <laughs> just makes you run fast. Just make, you know, your it just puts, puts, me, just puts me in a place. Your coach <laughs>
2: made you
0: really mentally tough. Yeah. Like, I have to have something. <laughs> Like, I found my zins like spurring me on. <laughs> like I have to like, okay, uh, this is motivating me You're to just whispering him on. No, yeah, I, yeah, I thought, yeah. If you just if you can run, to, P- to pull up
2: singing. your pull up your favorite streaming device, Moonchild. Okay, uh-huh. the song is Money. Okay, that's like my it's right. a go-to. Right.
1: Okay. After All we right. talked to Rob Perez, I ran to nothing but Sublime for like a <laughs> month.
2: <laughs> so. Maybe maybe whisper. Let me switch it up. Music oh, you know smooth. what? Something that is new to me. Um, again, why palette? They'll make fun of me, Led Zeppelin. I was introduced right. for the first time uh within the last couple. I've only listened to the first album. um, I am a fan. The next few are pretty good, too. yeah <laughs> Keep on going. I'm like, oh, I get it, which is funny because a fa- a, fa- a favorite movie of mine a favorite movie of mine is uh, almost famous, and there's yeah. like a thread about yeah. Led Zeppelin. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. I get that now <laughs> that's awesome.
1: You're the, the most beautiful place in Lexington, in your opinion.
2: I'm gonna tell it's gonna sound like a straight up pander. But one of we talked about things that are that we're doing like for the first time in the co like I've um I the park that I hung out at was uh River Hill Park, which is up on Crosby on the south side. Gainesway Park, man, with the fountain out there, oh it's beautiful. Yeah. The next most beautiful place might be Looking at a plate of canes. Oh, I I love Canes. It does, there's a wife
0: like Krista makes fun of me, but I I eat at Canes two to three times a week. Yeah. On average. Maybe maybe more.
2: Well, I'll tell you the first time I went to uh I went to Raisin Canes, I went through the drive through and I pulled up and this is gonna sound bad on them. I I want I wanna put the disclaimer, I appreciated this moment. But I pulled up to the drive through and the guy came on. He's like, chicken, 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 what kind of combo are you picking? I said, mm, like, let me take one minute and uh, just, like, take a look at the menu. He paused, and was like, dude, there's, like, five things. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh,
0: that's, that's
2: true. true. <laughs> Number three, please. <laughs> the, and the other thing that I'll say is just you know one thing I like about Lexington is it meets my need man I really enjoy living in Philadelphia and DC but I also really enjoy living in Berea I'm like a small town you know guy at heart and uh, Lexington just kind of meets both of my needs and you know there are there's that drive like the drive on Old Frankfurt Pike you know yeah. for example or you know these places where you take it you you move from like the urban, to just seeing the hills. And gosh, I I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, yeah, so we we got all of my, we got my landscape favorite, my my food (laughs) favorite, and my favorite park.
0: (laughs) Well, I usually ask, like, where where, where would you go out to eat? But let's take Cane's off the table.
2: Oh, kind of club. Oh, yeah. What do you get there? Uh, 193 Burger, man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and whatever, I have not been led astray once on a cocktail. Yeah, uh, at County Club. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Ashland
0: folks that work there, so every time I oh, go, I am like, "Oh, I know
2: you." You go. That it's one of the. You know, there's a handful of restaurants in Lexington where you know I'm kind of a I'm kind of a hermit, really. So if I'm not working, I'm kind of I like to hang out at home. But you show me a place where I can go and hang out and hear Lauren Hill, hmm. I'm there. You go on the right night, County Club. It's got the just a wonderful playlist. Going and I hate it. Well, I guess you know we're coming outside a little bit. Yeah, it's patio season. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's one patio. of the yeah. top top three patios yeah, in the city. It's solid.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Our last question: Lexington, ten years from now, if you could see one thing improve about our city ten years from now, what would it be?
2: One thing improve. Well, I mean, if I can get serious for a moment, I mean, the uh, our in our school district, the student population is majority minority, and if not majority, close. Uh, to majority um, for reduced lunch. Mm -hmm. And our students experience gaps in success in the classroom. And, you know, uh, certainly 10 years from now, my my hope is that we'd be able to close some of those gaps. and, And, you know, what that means is it's not things just in the school building. We all own that stuff. You know, a deeper recognition that school don't own schools, that it is on us is residents and and community members. It's on the investments we make. You know, the city budget is, you know, the folks who look at the city budget and they're only thinking about maybe one or two things, but it's really, I mean, that document is important because it Mm. describes our investments and our people. And, you know, the work that our nonprofits do is is critical in employer community and UK and our higher ed institution. Once we all recognize, like, the role that we play in our community and figure out how to link those roles up, not blame each other. You know, the you know, higher ed shouldn't blame K twelve for student performance and K twelve shouldn't blame families, right? It's recognizing that we all play a role and, and, mm-hmm. and we all can um do a lot to change the outcomes in the lives of students. I absolutely know it to be true because I shouldn't be sitting with you, mm-hmm. you know, right now having the conversation that we're having, but you know, but I did and I am.
0: so much for listening to Lex Talk About It. If you want to find Christian on Instagram, his handle is at Christian Motley. If you enjoy Lex Talk About It, please rate, review, follow, and tell your friends about our podcast. Lex Talk About It is brought to you by your friends at Northline Coffee and Donuts.
2: You're now listening to. I should have like oh, yeah. the midnight
1: storm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're that you're me like they just. I'm just in this room filled with smoke. Just like, All right, who we got on today? But-
2: uh, there's a whole other story about bumping into Jesse, Jesse Jackson down there by the levee, but uh he was there with some of his friends, and we prayed together for a little while. It was very interesting. The prayer rhymed. Um, <laughs> awesome. he, he, prayed, <laughs> right? he he prayed and rhymed. Is a talent. That's uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yep, uh, listen, man, this is professional. On a personal note, I like to have a nice little yard. Um, Ten years from now, so my front yard now. This is, I, uh, one thing I've picked up in quarantine is also, uh, gardening. Right. I I wouldn't say I have a green thumb. Okay, <laughs> I think I went out there and just kind of made a mess. <laughs> I I, I um had a English I think it's called English ivy in my yard so it's just right. just imagine instead of like grass it's just vines okay mm-hmm. and I picked a bite with those okay. with those bad boys <laughs> what'd, you, and what'd you do just pull them I am losing <laughs> it is ongoing <laughs> I went out I just I just yanked them up okay and uh was there grass under there like a little okay there's like some grass under there okay. like random piece of metal this is like you know <laughs> it had to go it had to go joe no. it had to go first but uh you know i don't know how it's coming back kind of a little bit already wow. <laughs> yeah. so
1: god bless you
0: teddy teddy has a great uh yard philosophy
2: Lay
1: it on me. What is my yard philosophy?
0: <laughs> that, that, you told me about it the other day. Like, oh, you, the, you want when people walk by... Yeah,
1: I, I want my yard to just not be noticed. I don't want them to talk about it. I don't want them <laughs> to talk about it because it's so nice, because I don't have the time or the money to get it to look so nice that they're going to talk about it. Yeah. And I don't want it to look so bad that they talk about it. I like that. So that's my philosophy. Give me a nice standard. A yard nobody talks about. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So that
0: that's been one of the downsides to walking around the neighborhood <laughs> is... We walked. Have you walked over to Mist Lake Court off of Squires? I have. Okay. Them. Walk walk over there. Uh, Kristen has seen. I don't know if I'm supposed to be. She's seen the yards over there. Yeah. They do not look like our yards. They look very nice, well kept. <laughs> There's like lines in the grass. Uh, how
1: do you get those lines? Man. Man. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I don't know how you do it. But they're gotta there.
2: Gotta get rid of the ivy first. Get, oh, ivy's they're got there, to and she wants them. <laughs> and the she w- oh, there's so there we go. Lies, <laughs> wants the trees, <laughs> all this
0: stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have the time to do that. <sighs>
2: yeah.
0: I don't have the time to do that. I, I want to have the time to do that, but I, I don't.
2: Listen, listen, we're talking about Lexington in ten years. Ten years, <laughs> it's a ten-year plan. <laughs> this
1: is, this is your you want lines in your lawn? Yeah,
2: yeah. ivy. The ivy's gone <laughs> mostly. <laughs> It's why it's everywhere, man.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we, one of us could camp outside of like the person's yard when they mow it and see see if we notice any. Like, how you get the? I'm
2: things. definitely gonna be the guy, like the neighbor who's like just coming, to, like watch you cut your grass. Just <laughs> <laughs> set up a, a lawn chair. Hey, bud, I just, I just, you gotta tell me how you get those lines <laughs> in your yard. Let's
0: see. How you do that.
2: Who me? I live. I live like two houses now. Yeah, but you got a beautiful lawn. What <laughs> we well, t- c- connectivity? Yeah, this is it. yeah neighbors. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>